Welcome to The Change Lab, a podcast for people who are all about personal development, leaning into their potential and becoming their best self. Just, you know, starting next Monday. I'm your host, Dr. Sasha Hines, and oh, sh- it's Monday. Hello, lab mates. It's our favorite day of the week, our fresh start. It's Monday, and we're back in the Change Lab. So this Monday, theory comes to life in a real coaching session. One of your fellow lab mates, Pete, got coached and was kind enough to let me record it so that you guys could listen and learn from his own openness and vulnerability and willingness to try to get unstuck. So it was such a pleasure to work with him. Seriously, he's such a lovely guy. You will soon find out what a lovely human being he is. So as you're listening to this coaching session, I want you to try to focus on a few specific things. First, pay attention to what's not working for him. What do you observe? And you can, of course, relate that to you, right? Is there, is, is there something that he's doing that you also do? Can you see it more objectively with him? Perhaps you can see its ineffectiveness with him because, right, you're not emotionally attached to it. Secondly, what beliefs and assumptions are keeping him stuck? So put yourself in the seat of the observer and try to actually analyze a little bit what's going on. What are the thoughts that are getting in his way with regard to this goal? The more you pay attention to his thought patterns, the better you will become at observing your own thinking. It's just a muscle you develop. And so, you know, you're stretching. (laughs) You're going to build that muscle. So have that in mind while you're listening to this coaching session. And third, I, I want you to really try to relate his inner conflict, what's going on with you. How does this relate to you? So this is your coaching session too. Put yourself in his hot seat and try to relate it to what's going on with you and allow yourself to explore in what ways his inner conflict and his assumptions and you know the actions that he's taking that are not working for him, how they relate to what's going on with you. Okay, and before we dive in, one quick note. The formal process that I take Pete through in this session is not the way that I typically work with my private clients. I use an amalgam of different frameworks and theories and approaches to growth and change and over the years have developed my own special sauce. But Kagan and Leahy's immunity to change framework is so beautifully linear and gets right to the heart of the matter so quickly that for the purposes of this podcast, I just thought it would do the best job of demonstrating the protective nature of his psychological immune system in the very short time that we actually had. So it just gives us a mental x-ray of his mind's immune system and helps us really see the covert logic behind his resistance to change. And there is always logic behind your resistance to change. You may not be able to see it yet, but I promise you it's there. All right, without further ado, let's get to Pete's coaching session. So this is so exciting. I love coaching people. I'm, this is such an exciting thing to do. This is what I do most of the time is actually coach people and not speak into a microphone by myself <laughs> in a room by myself for the podcast. 
And I thought your whole story was extremely, man, it's a universal struggle. So why don't you tell everybody a little bit of what's going on? Yeah. So I'm Pete. I, I think I mentioned in the letter, I'm a 49-year-old super dad. I have two young children. They're nine and 12. I have an amazing wife of 23 years. And even after 23 years, I think she still wants to be married to me, which is amazing. And uh, yeah, when I'm a, obviously a big fan and uh, I really appreciate your superpowers, Dr. Hines, from afar, uh, from the interwebs. I've obviously been excited to learn about the podcast and then take in the first few episodes. And when you put out a call for uh, people who might be interested to uh, help with the process and help themselves and help others along the way, I was really enthusiastic. So yeah, I think what I was most interested in is trying to discover what my limitations are to change because I have lots of things. I consume lots of amazing information and I, I'm motivated and I have willpower. I get a lot of things done in my life. I'm a really productive yeah. person. But when it comes to some of these major things, which I think would be so critical for me, things that are maybe, well, I, I called out in particular my commitment to regular exercise and mm -hmm. why I think it's so important in my life. And that I recognize that I struggle with it, making it a big part of my life when really I, if anybody were to ask me, you know, if I won a lottery, what would I do? It would give me the freedom of time to exercise every day when most yep. people would say, hey, you already have that. Uh, but somehow I have some resistance. Yep. So what we were talking a little bit about before we started and hit record was um, the reason that I'm so passionate about what I do. And, and I feel just so strongly about approaching all of this from a developmental perspective, you know, as a psychodevelopmentalist, not psychotherapist, is that I think, unfortunately, there's sort of, you know, we were talking about this, there's sort of two options out there for people, which is either we pathologize something, so there's something wrong with you and it needs to be pathologized, or option two is you need to be motivated and inspired by some, there's like, you know, the self-help world, it's kind of like, you got this, you can do it. And it's so inspirational and you go to a conference or you go to a seminar or you listen to a podcast and you're all pumped up and then you go back to your regular world and then you struggle, right? This is so normal. And I think that the missing conversation is that resisting change is normal. <laughs> human beings resist change. Like that's a, what it means to be a human being. And I think most people that have, like you, very functional life, so much that's actually going great, one area where you just are bumping up against a brick wall and it's so frustrating, like, what is wrong? Why can't I make progress in this area? And I, I can do all these other things, yet this one particular area is so hard for me. And because these two options, the inspiration, motivation approach, you know, just be better, do better, work harder, isn't working. And then also, the idea that there is some, you know, disease disorder dysfunction doesn't also make sense either. What are you left with? Not much. So the thing that's so frustrating for me is that this is the vast majority of people, right? So, so most people fall into this category, like 80% of people fall into this category where it's not a clinical issue. It's just being human. <laughs> Our struggle is just being human. So thank you for showing up and being willing to get coached because in you getting coached, you help everybody understand what's going on and they'll relate to exactly what you're going through and they'll learn through your experience. And it will, you know, I guarantee people will have breakthroughs just in listening to you getting coached. So seriously, thank you. That would be amazing. I'm looking forward to my own and also other people benefiting from observing from, from the sidelines. So thanks yeah. for having me. So give us a quick recap of what's the struggle look like for you? What is the goal that you want 
to attain? And then what's the struggle looked like? Yeah, I think I would like to be in the habit of having like a, a daily commitment to an appropriate amount of exercise to maintain like a high quality of life. So I like to ski, I like to bike, I coach hockey. I probably give about maybe 20 hours a week to hockey volunteerism for my two children. They both play uh, competitive hockey and, you know, 10 of those 12 hours I'm on the ice with them. And that's, you know, those are 10 of my peak hours. Uh, but, you know, even sometimes after I've demonstrated something for the kids, I think to myself, mm, that's not going to feel good. I wanna, I'm not in shape enough to do that. Like I'm going to be sore tomorrow because of this. So I'm kind of constantly bumping up against whatever those physical limitations are. So if we take a weekend to go skiing or an evening to go skiing or something like that, I'm always up bumping up against that. You're bumping up against it, meaning you feel out of shape. Yeah, yeah. I'm always bumping. Yeah. Whatever, whatever my level of fitness is, I'm always kind of bumping up against whatever my limitations are, even when I'm at my most fit. But, you know, if, if given the choice, so where, where the struggle comes in, like, I'm convinced that I need exercise in my life. It's for my mental health, for my physical health, for all the things that I want to have in my life, all those rich right. activities and connections with my children and my wife and my friends and with nature, you name it. But what I bump into is really other areas of my life where I feel like, okay, I need to deprioritize. That exercise is a selfish luxury. It's kind of, I think, what goes through my head. So when time is limited, I'm like, okay, I didn't give enough to my commitments to my employer today. Or, mm -hmm. you know, I need to prioritize this for my, you know, I don't want to, the worst thing I could do is throw them under the bus, but for my children or my family or for others, or, you know, eventually if I do get that free time, let's say my wife and children are away for the weekend visiting and I, because I'm here, cause I have some other commitment, all of a sudden I have six hours of time. And I still do five and a half hours of other avoidance <laughs> yeah. activities before yep. like now it's like 1 a.m. and I'm choosing to exercise, if at all. So right. I have a very powerful set of uh, tools at delaying whatever it is that's getting me to taking action on the exercise. And then the next step is making it regular. Like I do love to exercise. The endorphins, right. whatever you want to call it, it feels amazing, but something's holding me back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think this is such a universal problem, right? So cognitively, intellectually, you understand why it, it matters to you. You value it. You understand why it's important, how it impacts you, the cost of not doing it. All of this you're aware of. Yeah. Super. Consciously. <laughs> super aware of it, yeah. right? Which is what makes it so Frustr frustrating for absolutely. you. Okay. So this is normal. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I want everyone to understand there's nothing wrong with Pete. This is completely normal. This is a psychological immune system at work. And what we need to do is understand what is locking, like wh what are the beliefs and assumptions that are, are making your psychological immune system sort of sending out proverbial antibodies? Because on the surface, this makes no sense, but I guarantee once we sort of work through this, you know, an immunity map, and this is based on Robert Keegan and Lisa Leahy from Harvard. They're, I mean, just incredible research on adult development. I think they're, uh, I have nothing but superlatives to say about them and what they've done for our understanding of how change works. But once we walk through this, their framework, I think you'll be really begin to understand is what you're believing that makes all of this resistance behavior make total sense. So there is a logic it's just not apparent right now. It would be great to rationally go through that or in, in yeah. a somewhat scientific way. 
because that will yeah. also really resonate with me. I, I hope. So what you all can't see is that we have this, you know, immunity map up and I will be, so if you hear me clicking away, I'm just typing in so he can see, because right, I really want him to be able to observe. So this is the name of the game. The way that we change is that we have to make, and this is a little bit of adult developmental language, so forgive me, but what we are subject to, so what we are embedded in, what we can't see, every single change in our life is when we make what we're subject to, we make it into an object. We're able to see it objectively. So the whole name of the game with change is to be able to, all of these beliefs and assumptions that we have, that we, we it's like a sea we're swimming in and we don't even recognize that we're in the water. Okay, we need to be able to get up on the beach and be like, oh, wow, it's water that I've been swimming in. I didn't even know that, right? So the other way I describe it to my clients is like, you're in a snow globe and right now the snow globe's very real to you. <laughs> so what we need to do is help you put the snow globe in your hand so you can see it, the limitations of it. And that what's inside the snow globe may not actually be the full reality of life. It's maybe limited. There may be more a wider perspective, a more complex picture. The little snow globe is just part of a bigger scene, right? So right now you're embedded in these beliefs. And then what we're going to try to do is help those beliefs sort of hold them in your hand so you can see them for what they are. They're just beliefs. And then the next step after what we're going to do today is testing out whether those beliefs are actually true because you will not permanently change unless you change those beliefs right? But if you're just going to white knuckle it against these assumptions, won't last very long, right? That, that's, that's the problem. I'm committed to not consciously white knuckling against them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sucks. Yeah. It totally sucks, right? And by the way, everybody has willpower enough to make that work for like a week or two. And then life happens and you're like, ugh, it's too hard. Yeah. So we want to make change to a point where not doing it is crazy to you, right? So I mean, the example I would use is like someone who's decided to get sober and doesn't drink anymore. They're not going to the bar later on. Like, let's say they're five years sober. They're not going to a bar and gritting it through, you know? No, they, they could be in a bar with lots of booze. And they're like, I genuinely don't want that. My life is better. I genuinely think of alcohol in a different way than I do now. So that like, it's not even appealing to me the way that, you know, we think about cigarettes now. You know, yeah. Like I don't. It's, I'm not willpowering myself not to smoke cigarettes. I genuinely don't want them. Not interested in them. It's all about our beliefs. Okay, so walk us through a little bit about what is the goal specifically. So I want you to articulate your goal in the affirmative. So this is the language that we'll use. I'm committed to getting better at dot dot dot. It's specifically in this language. So you're not going to be perfect, but we want to get better increasingly get better. So what is it that you really want to get better at? I'm committed to getting better at prioritizing and following through on daily exercise. And even as I say it, it doesn't sound very deep. Like who doesn't want, no. who, who doesn't want okay. to have exercise be a bigger part of their life? I feel like almost everybody does. Okay. But here's the deal. Nobody wants to yell at their kids. No one wants to do a lot of boneheaded things that they do that they know actually have zero evidence that it's ever worked. Ever. Yeah. <laughs> right? So most of the stuff that we're actually trying to grow and develop in those areas are very mundane, which is part of the reason why it's hard to work on because you're like, seriously? Why can't I figure this out? 
So that's part of the reason why is because you have that belief, which is like, for the love of God, why can't I just do this? This is so obvious. Okay. But it's not because you're struggling with it. Yeah, So my excitement about this work is that engaging in this process of growing with exercise and actually consistently exercising, which seems so mundane and like, really seriously, this is what I'm, I mean, come on now. I'm an adult. How is this my issue? In doing this work, you're doing like much bigger meta work about your own evolution as an adult, which is very cool. So it actually has a lot more meaning than just this. I kind of refer to it as like, I do perceive it as a possible keystone to like, Hey, look, I can do this. I now understand how I did this and made this change. And I can't wait to actually bring it to other also very important elements of my life. Yeah, you become a more skillful self-changer and you understand how to build this bridge between the good intention and the action. And that's what we're going to be doing. Amazing. So I'm committed to getting better at prioritizing and taking action a daily exercise. Love it. Okay, so on a scale of one to five, one being not important at all, five being extremely important, how would you rate this? It's a five. It's a five. Yep. And tell me why. The two big reasons that come to uh, come to the top of my head. One is I have young children and I want to give them an example of committing to daily exercise because mm-hmm. I think it's so important to their long-term health. And I, I, I want to be a participant in their active lifestyles. I want to go mountain biking with them. I want to go skiing with them. Until at some point, maybe they don't want to go with me anymore, but then maybe my work is done and I can see them going mountain biking with their friends or skiing with their friends. And I can uh, watch from the sidelines and continue doing those things the way I wish to enjoy them. But one is about that long-term connection and example for my children. And then the other is more personal, but for my long-term health reasons, I I have a family history of Alzheimer's, which I mentioned. And my physician father died a little bit younger probably than he should have. And his quality of life in his uh, remaining years after he retired from medical practice was also, you know, painful as a child to watch and to start to parent your parents. So I possibly have some genetic predisposition. And how does exercise relate to that in your mind? So in my mind, from the research that I've done from is that if there's one thing that could possibly be effective in a preventative way to try and build you up for a lifetime of great habits to stave off neurodegeneration, which that comes with age, uh, that exercise is the critical thing to do. So exercise is a major protective factor in From all, and all the reading I've done, what our current level of science says currently, this is the main thing that you can commit to and help yourself with. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything else? I mean, these are all, and, and by the way, I mean, these are really important to you. I, this is the other thing I want to make sure that you understand and that everybody else understands, which is I think one of our default criticisms of ourselves is that I must not care enough. And then, of course, that feels so dreadful because the reasons to do this are setting a good example to your kids, which, of course, deeply matters to you. Being able to participate in activities and sports stuff with your kids going forward and with your family, that's deeply important to you. If I had you on a lie detector test, you would pass. Yeah. You know, it's it's not faux. This is totally sincere. And then, of course, your anxiety about Alzheimer's, it's personal to you. You've seen it, right? So it's not a lack of caring. That is not the problem. Yeah. yeah. I guess that that's the motivation to be here with you today is that, like, how could that not be motivation enough to push me past the tipping point? 
Mm-hmm. I, I do have other areas of my life where I, I did reach a tipping point and I changed. It's like, oh man, thank God I did this. And I, I've never looked back. Uh, maybe been a few uh, few moments, but to me, I don't think I need any more reason to change than what yeah. we just talked about. By the way, yes. And I think that most people, what they would do is shame themselves for like, why is this not enough? Right. Which is un- totally unhelpful. And it just keeps you more stuck. Right. Cause then it just adds a layer of yeah, I definitely have self-loathing. Yeah. I, I like, definitely have deeply. that unfriendly internal voice from time to time. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's a really beneficial motivator. You know, that angry coach yelling at you in the background that gets you to do something. And then other times it's more self-defeating. I think what other benefit can you see here that would be personal to you, just to you, about how you think and feel about yourself? So your relationship with yourself, how would this impact your relationship with yourself? Yeah, I think, well, I think it would be reinforcement for that self-talk and my recognition of like having my own agency to like carve out and do, okay, look, if this is clearly something I want, I can go do this. Yeah. Okay. So the payoff, one of the benefits and why it's important to you is that if you can change this, there's then a deeper understanding that then you can change other things. So it would be a catalyst for more change. Yeah. This is, this is a big one that I chose to try and work on with you, but you know, once I check this one off, there's another one in a close second, which is important for my personal well being. So I think it's just that recognition. Hey, look, I can do this. Like, Hey, yep. let's go. That's awesome. Yeah. So good. Okay. So this is sincere. And I, then that guy, that is so important to understand that your desire to change is totally sincere. It is not for a lack of wanting it to happen and for understanding the benefits of it. That is not what's going on here. So we're going to move on. So this is column one, which is his growth goal. And the growth goal is getting better at prioritizing and taking action at daily exercise. So working out, on the reg every day, right? Then in column two, so we're going to move over to the right. In column two, what I want is a radically, this is the uncomfortable part. I want a radically honest inventory of what you are doing and not doing that undermine this growth goal. If I had a video camera filming you, what would I see? Not your thoughts and feelings, your actions. What would I see? What are you doing that undermines this goal? Yeah, I'm cycling like walking through the house, looking for things to do instead, you know, mm-hmm. looking for laundry to like uh, household tasks, like things that I'd, I don't want to do these things. I don't want to fold laundry. I don't want to do the dishes. I don't want to clean the kitchen. Like I just say, okay, it's almost like I've said to myself, let's find something to do. So I don't exercise Oh yeah. anything. Yeah. You're like, I'll clean the toilet. Clean. <laughs> yeah, totally. You find work to deal with instead of committing to Yeah, I'll even look ridiculous. I'll go out in the backyard and pick up after the dog. Like I'll Mm -hmm. go scoop poop. Oh, well, this hasn't been done for five days and I better do that because somebody's going to step in it and then we're going to have to clean up their shoe. So I don't, I have time to do that, but I don't have time to exercise and stave off all these dreads that I have about not being fit uh, later in life. So a hundred percent. So what other things do you actually have a appointed time? Do you make a commitment to work out, let's say at a specific time or do you not do that? I don't. I try to fit it in. Okay. So this would go under, just so everyone's clear, we're trying to understand what he's doing that undermines the goal and what he's not doing that undermines the goal. And this is, I would put this under not doing. So he undermines this goal by not actually making a concrete schedule. Yeah. 
you know, not, not a concrete plan yeah, or workout schedule, yeah. right? Because to be honest, I'm pretty generous with myself. So going for a walk in the woods, a brisk walk in the woods, that would be exercise for me. Going and mm-hmm. riding my bike to the point of near exhaustion would also be that. Or running around on the ice. We mentioned uh, we both are, love hockey. So I would qualify many of those things as being active or getting good exercise. I don't have to go sit in the gym and pump iron or do mm-hmm. whatever. Listen to my favorite music while I you know, push myself to exhaustion. Another thing that I, I whether it's a doing or a don't doing, is like, I often say, oh, I still have time. I still have time. So I want to do right. it at like 9.30 okay, at night okay, or okay. 10 at night. Okay. This is really helpful. Okay. So you tell, and this is how you guys, this is an action and not a thought that I tell myself, right? I tell myself, I still have time. Yeah. And by the way, this is a delightful one because I, get, as you said, you're working out at like one in the morning. You're, you're telling yourself you still have time at midnight. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. That's if my family's not home. I like... I'm, I'm more, right, I'm right, more right, well-behaved right. if my family's home. But if my family's home, you know, if the kids are in bed at nine o'clock, uh, then a, whole, a bunch of different other voices come on, right? First of all, if I lay down to read with one of my kids before they go to sleep, you know, that's all I can do is stay awake. I should probably be going to bed. But, mm-hmm. I, you know, I step outside. I'm like, okay, now I need to do stuff for Pete. And that voice comes alive and then I stay awake. But I still, at 9.05, I could be exercising. I have what I need to do to do that exercise at home. But then I say, oh, well, I want to do this and I want to do this. And then what I really say is like, I'm exhausted. How can I possibly yeah. exercise at this point? And so that's that's what it gets to. I run into, I still have time. And then all of a sudden, I'm so exhausted. There's almost no chance that willpower will carry me to put on my runners and do some exercise. Exactly. So you, you tell yourself, I still have time until you the are truly too tired to work out. Yeah. And this is a game that you play with yourself all day long, right? Yeah. I've, I've heard it referred to as the sword of Damocles. So I'm the kind of yeah. person who will, like, I, if it's an important decision, well, a lot of things are important to me, but if I, I always want to get things right. And so I'll try to accumulate as much information to make the ex- exact decision that I want to make. And then once I get to the point, I'm like, okay, the sword's going to fall. I have to do this now then I do it. And, you know. Okay. So this is another thing that you're doing. And this is related to, I tell myself, I still have time. You're waiting for there to be so little time left that it would require that you work out at that particular moment. Yeah. It's like, it, right? I need, I, there's some tipping point that I need to get to. And I, I don't get to it often as it relates to exercise. But if I find a gap in my day, then you know, well, normally I know how my day is going to go, see my calendar, my work day. Mm-hmm. But if I have a gap at lunch, then I might be like, oh, you know what? I have time to go and ride my bike. So I'll go and do that. And I'm, I'm successful with that sometimes. And I do make things happen like that, but it's more almost like serendipity than actually okay. conscious choice. Right. So, I mean, this is super helpful. So there's a, there's a degree of, um, and, and this is right. You don't make a concrete plan. Everything is, it's all ad hoc. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you not doing that undermines the school? Well, I agree with what you said earlier by not scheduling it. I'm not necessarily making it easy for myself either. You know, I've read lots of, you know, documentation that say, if you want to run in the morning, put your running shoes and your shorts beside the bed. So as soon as you swing your feet out of bed. But here's what I will say is that I don't know if you listen to the podcast about stages of change. That only works if you are very much in the action phase. Right. That is not going to help you if you're not there. Yeah. And then it just actually 
most people, it sets them back because I will tell you what, putting out my running shoes, like I'm smarter than that. I'm not going to trick my mind. I'm going to put my running shoes out in the morning. And then the next morning, be like, oh, my running shoes are out. I better go run. Just because my running shoes are out doesn't mean that I'm going to go run. I'm not going to trip over them. I'm more likely to trip over them if I put them beside my bed. It's like, oh, you're cute. You're cute that you're there, but I'm not. I'm not going to have my cup of coffee and play Wordle. Like, I'm not going to do it. Right. So these are things to reduce friction. And by the way, when you are in this action phase and you are beginning to engage in the change, these um, ways of either creating more friction to do something that you don't want to do or creating less friction to do something that you do want to do can be helpful, but it's only helpful on the margins when you're ready to do it. It is not going to be the thing that gets you from contemplating it to doing it. Not at all. And these are the nuances that people don't understand. They're like, why isn't this working for me? I'm like, because why would you anticipate that just putting your shoes out is going to solve the problem? Yeah. Like, you know dang well what to do to get yourself to go exercise. That's not the problem. Yeah. And I guess another thing, like, I don't really, I don't spend much time thinking about the benefits. So I'm not visualizing how good I'm going to feel or, you know, what the future rewards are if I commit to this now. Like, so if I put up, if I do this, like, I actually love working out, but once I'm doing it, that's the thing. So, but I'm not thinking, oh, how good am I going to feel? How focused am I going to feel? How energized am I going to feel? And that that's, you know, yet another deposit in the long-term account towards mm-hmm. the goals that we talked about in growth goals in section one. I don't take time to think, okay, if I just I take, put up with this little pain and make this happen, so I get to this point. I don't, th- I don't think about it that way normally. Right. I kind of think a little bit like, you know what? You don't deserve the luxury of exercise. Kind of like the voice that's happening well, in the this background. Well, this is, we, right. We're going to get into what the thoughts and feelings are, but this is so helpful. Okay, so so let me just do a little quick recap here. So here's what he's doing that undermines the goal. So he's, uh, you know, walking through the house, looking for any kind of household chore, errand, uh, work item to do instead of exercise. That's one of the things he's like actively avoiding the exercise by doing, by the way, things that are kind of good to do, right? They're, you know, what do we call it? Procrastivity, you know? You're doing something that's kind of valuable. I mean, it is. You're folding laundry or you're taking care of household things, loading the dishwasher, um, putting the plates away, whatever you're doing is contributing to the house being tidy and that's all delightful and necessary. So it's not like you're sitting down and scrolling on Instagram mindlessly. That's not what you're doing. It's like a justifiable procrastination, right? So- I will, you know, a, a confession, I will disappear into YouTube sometimes, especially when okay. I'm past the, Great. when I'm past the critical fatigue point. So okay. not so, Perfect. maybe Instagram a little bit less, a fair bit less, uh, but YouTube, it usually starts with purpose. Like, oh, I need to go research a drill for my hockey coaching with the kids for practice mm-hmm. tomorrow. Oh, yes. Or I want to learn this part on my guitar for my friends that I play Ooh. music with. Right. And exactly. So it starts there and then... Who knows? Sometimes when it ends up, I'm just like, that was the 25 minutes that I just could have been exercising. And now I still have time, but not right now. Right. Okay. All right. So by the way, the critical thing here for everyone is to understand is I want you to tattle on yourself. I want you to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, because we want to know exactly what you're doing. What does it look like when you're avoiding your goal and you're in that avoidance? mode, what's happening, 
these nuances and these specifics, like the specifics of it are actually important to understand. I actually need to know specifically what you're doing in lieu of the exercise, right? So you have, I mean, hypothetically, right? Let's say you're like, I'm going to do 30 minutes a day and you have that 30 minute window and you're like, oh yeah, here's what I do in that 30 minute window instead of exercise. I'll find work emails. I'll find household chores. I will go pick up the dog poop. I will, you know, all of a sudden that's the critical moment that I need to go online and learn a new drill to teach the kids a new hockey drill, right? For practice. So this is what you're doing instead of exercising. And then the things that you're not doing is you're not making a concrete plan. You don't make it easy for yourself. And I, and I love this one. You, you don't think about or visualize the benefits of how good it will make you feel. That's a great one. That's a, that's a great detail. Okay. So we're going to move on to the next column. You guys can't see this immunity map, but we're moving on to the next column. There's four columns in this. And in column three and here in column three and four, we're getting into your psychological immune system. Okay. So what we've got now is a growth goal in column one, and now we've got actions in column two, and they are completely in opposition to each other, right? This is the one foot on the gas wanting change to consistently exercise. And then you have one foot on the brake, which is all of this avoidance activities that you're doing. This is very normal. Almost everybody, I mean, I would guarantee that everyone listening to this in some area of their life is engaging in this. You want something and then you're doing the opposite. And this is the revving engine. And you know, you're revving your engine. You're not going anywhere. It's exhausting. This is exhausting. Psychologically exhausting. And it's physically exhausting because you're spending all of your mental energy on should I, shouldn't I, should I, in that inner war in your head. And it's exhausting. So Okay, so we're moving on to column three, and here's what I want you to tell me. If you imagined yourself doing the opposite of what you're doing in column two, 180 degree change, right? You're doing the exact opposite. So you are making a plan to work out, and in that time that you're making the plan to work out, you are not going through your house. You are not doing chores. You are not finding an email. You are not making a new plan for hockey practice. Um, and watching videos, right, you're on YouTube, you are doing the opposite of what's in column two. What would kind of suck about that? Like, what's the emotion like? Ugh. And I don't want it in your head. I want it in your gut. Well, like the things that I'm doing, if I wasn't doing those things, like, I think I would be like, great. Uh, but I, I do think I would you know, they're okay. So here's this is this is what most people will say is they're like, if I was doing the opposite, I'd be so happy. And and I'm like, that's actually not true. Because if that were true, I'd also be stressed. You'd be doing it. Yeah. I okay. I don't want to I don't want to let down my coach peers that have volunteered to work with me with the kids for the hockey stuff. I don't want to let down the kids and their families with what we're trying to foster and help them. I don't want to let down my family. Okay. So hold on. Let's, I just want to make sure that we're spelling this out. So tell me, so you would be by doing the opposite of this. So this is like by prioritizing the exercise over these other chores that you're doing at the time. Instead, you'd be stressed. Tell me a little bit more about that. Would it be time crunch? Like what's the stress? What's that? And I want, again, focus on how it feels in that gut. It's an emotion. It's not, not in your head. Yeah by stress, I mean, I'd be, I'd be worried that I'm not doing my part for, for others around me. Tell me what that means. If you are carving out this time to exercise 
what does that mean? And how would you exactly be letting everybody down? What's the worry? I think it's, you know, maybe I'm viewing it as units of time that if, you know, if I use that 30 minutes of exercise, I can't get those 30 minutes of time back to dedicate to some other area of service that I've have as a part of my life. I guess that my dread is showing up to practice unprepared or not doing my part to support the household or not meeting my wife's or children's needs, my wife's or children's needs in terms of my time or my emotional connection. You know, I think those are the things that I'm like, oh man, I, I think that's like in terms of the emotions of it, those are the things that would we, well, hypothetically, that's what I tell myself I have to dread, right? And I, I think I, I, I do go through those uh, those feelings. Are they justified? Is that really the case? Like, no, 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 but I'm not interested in anything being justified because okay, here's the deal. The only thing that I need to know about you is that you're not doing the exercise. So all of this like, oh, I'd feel great. It would be great. I know this is just a justification. I'm like, I don't care because you're not exercising. So there is actually something pretty deep. There is like, there is something that's not necessarily like deep in terms of like mm. psychologically deep. But what I mean is there is an emotional constraint here that feels very visceral and very real to you. And if it weren't, you'd be exercising. Yeah. No doubt in my mind. You do lots of other things that you are probably more onerous than exercising. Oh, yeah. Um, but you do them regularly because you have different thoughts and feelings about it, but you have a whole slew of thoughts and feelings about what that exercise time means to you that makes you resist it. And I know this is true because you're not doing it. Because the amount of internal angst that this causes you was enough for you to apply to get coached live on a podcast, okay? <laughs> so I know this is not a small thing. It's a big thing. It seems small. It's not small. It's maddening. So I want to know, like, if I was like, hey, today, you're going to go work out for the next two weeks you're going to work out. You're not going to do any of these other things. You're going to prioritize working out. I don't care how you feel about it. That's what you're going to do. I mean, I'm not really going to do that, but yeah. 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 Okay. If I were, it was like, I'm forcing you to do this. What's the like digging in your heels? What's the feeling of like, I don't want to. <sighs> oh, you know, I think it maybe at the root of it all is like, I'm pretty afraid of disappointing anybody else. Nobody else cares if I exercise. Okay. But people care if, like, if I do a crappy job on running practice or if I don't follow through on something at work or if the wheels fall off something that we're trying to do as a family, then I'm letting down others. But if I don't exercise, I'm only letting down myself in the short term. I permit myself to give myself a pass, but I'm not giving, okay. I'm not giving myself a pass if I'm, whether it's my reputation or my commitment or whatever else it is, but I don't want to let down anybody else. So the dread here is that I will disappoint people and let them down, right? Yeah. Okay. And I think it's really like that, let other people down. That is definitely a big thing for me. To, and okay. Even to a challenge where like, you know, I don't know if, if you ever have the pleasure in your life of coaching one of your children, like you, know, you need to make a choice sometimes. Okay. Who gets less time or less opportunity? My disposition would be like, okay, because I'm coaching... 17 children, my child gets less because I don't want to disappoint. Okay. So tell me more about that. <laughs> what is the meaning beneath that? I think it's the same story is that, you know, the fear of receiving judgment or criticism from others about, about uh, 
treating my child favorably relative to their child uh, in that specific example. But it's about, you know, also, you know, okay, look, this guy's not even keeled. He's not fair. He's not interested in equal development of all the children on the team. Like that's the kind of example I would give. But if you really peel that back a little bit, it's still about me disappointing others and not wanting to. Okay. But it's slightly nuanced. Okay. Right. It's like, I will be criticized for favoritism. And on the hockey team, it's, I don't want people to perceive that I'm favoring my kid. Correct. Right. I, by the way, this is a universal, well, for, for most thoughtful Mm. coaches who are parents, they're struggling with this. I mean, I think this is a pretty normal thing to be struggling with, but what, what's interesting to me is that there is a link between the way you think about this with the coaching and the same way you think about yourself. So essentially there is something here, which is like, I will be criticized for favoritism of myself for prioritizing me over other people's needs. So I will be criticized for what I will be seen as what if I prioritize my needs over someone else's needs. Yeah. I think I, you know, could I be called out as a narcissist or could I be called out as someone who cares more about themselves than others? You know, the analogy, I think maybe I've heard you use about the oxygen mask on the plane, you know, putting your own mask on first. Underlying all that too, like, <laughs> so let's say I, I did give my, demonstrate some favoritism towards my son or daughter on their hockey teams and gave them more opportunity than somebody else. If there was conflict about it, that would be horrifying to me internally. Like, it would be really challenging for me to have that conflict, that interpersonal conflict inside. Between it. So if someone called you out on it yeah. and said, Hey, you're, you're, you're favoring your son. It would be, that I, it'd is... be really painful for me. Super yeah, painful. Okay. Yep. And tell me what, because there's something here <laughs> that you are staving off, right? There's an identity here that you really don't like, and you're kind of talking around it. But what is the thing that you, if someone was yelling at you a parent is criticizing you for favoring your kid. What is the criticism or the insult or the judgment of you that you are most afraid of? Well, I think it's, you know, having my character questioned, like, you know, I'm actually like, Mm -hmm. if you were to question my, like, well, I feel like my intent is always, uh, admirable. And that's my perspective on me. But, you know, even when somebody questions my intent, because they perceive... But how would they be questioning your character? In what way? But, well, by challenging... Like, are, they could... By ch- but what, what specifically about your character would they be questioning? Uh, I think they would be questioning my... Uh, yeah. my well, my disposition to others, to my like, fellow human beings. Like self-absorbed, selfish, egotistical. What is the flavor here? Because the character is comprised of many things. What is the yes. aspect of character that you really don't want people to question? I'm not sure. I have, I have to reflect on it for a second. Yeah. That's okay. Imagine someone criticizing you. What's the big, bad, horrible, scary thing you do not want to hear? Yeah, I think, it, I think it's about, well, I don't, even, I don't even know how to word it, but it's about questioning my disposition to others. Like that. What do you mean by that? Uh, like, um, I don't even know what, what my definition is of a good human being. Like, you know, is that what you mean? Yeah. Like a good human being? Yeah. Like that I'm a good member of society that, you know, 
Like I played lots of hockey when I was a kid. Am I the best coach for them in terms of skill or expertise? No, but I want all the kids that are affected by my coaching and my volunteerism to have fun and to grow mm -hmm. and not get yelled at while they're doing something that's supposed to be fun. And so yeah. I'm like, okay, look, I can sit on the sidelines and hope that happens or I can go create it myself. So I, and I feel on average, I've, I'm perceived differently because of that disposition. Some people are like, oh, he's not competitive enough or he gives everybody, like if somebody criticizes me for giving equal ice time to the kids on the team, I'm like, you know what? I'll take that criticism all day because these kids are learning and they're young and they need a chance to be in these situations. But if somebody were to criticize me for giving favoritism to my own child, like no, that would really gut me because they're so questioning my integrity. Okay. They're questioning your integrity. Okay. That's my this is, being, this is being like, a good human, but questioning my integrity, I think would, okay. that would be. Questioning your integrity. And then I wonder if there's something here that sort of, they might question that you have other people's best interests at heart. Yeah. I think that's an element of it. Uh, pro probably a substantial element of it in that, you know, I feel like if you're going to bother to put yourself in a place of service like, like that, you need to be doing it coming from the right Maybe place. Maybe question that you put other people's best interests first. They might question that. I, I definitely do that. That kind of goes without saying. I put other people's interests ahead of my own. Well, <laughs> it's my perception that I do uh, ahead of my own or ahead of my own families too. Like, you know what? If okay, that I would do that because well, I can take it. My family can take it. That other person or those people cannot. So I can have a mature discussion with my one of my children to say like this is why we're not doing this or why you're not getting the opportunity to do this i can handle that conversation okay so this is really critical because you have a belief system here which is essentially it's so important to me to put other people's interests first that that's who i am as a person that that's a guiding principle in who you are and along with that belief system is i can take the hit and because they're my family they can take the hit too right? Like we will deprioritize ourselves to prioritize somebody else. And I, by the way, what I think is, and I just think it's interesting for you to see this, like it's far more easy for you to talk about this when you're talking about your child and coaching. It's harder for you to access this when you're talking about the exercise. But I'm listening to what you're saying. I'm like, this is not about the coaching and his kid. This is everything to do about how he feels about exercise. It's the same thing going on. But I think it's just easy for you to access those feelings in the context of your son yeah, and the kids it. on the team. Yeah. But it's not just third person. It's also because they're people that you really care about. And in that context, these emotions feel really visceral. They're easier for you to see. But it's the same dynamic that's going on with the exercise for sure. So we've got a pretty robust idea here of what he's afraid of, right? And by the way, they're pretty raw. They're pretty big. Yeah, I'm not, I'm like, not, really, oh, I'm not really big at in my personal life. I, I've always joked, I don't think I want to peel back the onion. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty, pretty high functioning right now. So I, I'm, the, I'm the curious. The beautiful thing about this is that we're not going to peel back the onion. We're not going to like, yeah. we're not psychoanalyzing you. Okay. What we need to, under, because he, this is what I want everybody to understand. You have beliefs, okay, that you picked up over the years. Most of these beliefs are, we picked up from the age of, you know, six and 16. We picked up these ideas, the assumptions about the way the world works and who we are and how we operate in the world and how we're valued and 
how we're worthy, and all of these things that we, at some point in our life, picked up. Most of us have never actually questioned the accuracy of these beliefs or whether these beliefs may be accurate, but only in very specific contexts, but we actually don't question them. We just take them as a true with a capital T. It's a truth with a capital T. So we're not psychoanalyzing you at all. What we're trying to understand is what are these big, massive assumptions that are locking you in place? And of course, you pick them up somewhere and there's some biography to these belief systems, but it's not psychoanalysis. It's just understanding like, oh, every human being has a set of you know, implicit theories about the world and implicit theories about themselves. We learn them through our experience, through what people have said to us, our context in childhood, the way that we perceive the world. We pick up these, we sort of develop these implicit theories and we don't question them. We are just assume that they're correct. Okay, change requires that we question these implicit theories because no change, permanent change requires that you actually have a different idea of the way this dynamic operates. So we're just going to understand what these assumptions are. We're not psychoanalyzing you. I'm not going to ask you about your parents. <laughs> I promise. Okay. But, it, but understanding and like, you'll know where these beliefs come from, but it's not necessary. And I want everyone to hear this. It's not necessary to find the golden thread of like, where did I pick this up? And I need to then, no, what we just need to understand is, and you can have a sort of a vague understanding, like I see where I might have gotten that idea that this is the way the world works or the way that I need to be in the world to feel good or valuable or worthy or for the world to feel secure to me. But what I want to make clear is that these beliefs that you developed on some level, it doesn't entirely matter where you pick them up. What matters is, are you willing to question their accuracy, right? They may be just a piece of the picture, not the whole picture. They may be limited. And when we get to the big assumption column, which is coming next after we do the competing commitments, what I will tell you is that your big assumptions are going to sound like someone who's probably 10, right? They're not going to sound sophisticated. They're going to sound really unsophisticated, which is normal because we have carried these beliefs with us unquestioned since we were little kids, right? I mean, I will be working with a very high-functioning, powerful, you know, someone who's achieved incredible things in their profession, very well-respected, very dynamic, a leader. And in column four will be, you know, but if I say no, they'll be mad at me. And if they're mad at me, I'm going to die. Like that's what's in column four. <laughs> It's like, that is not a sophisticated belief system, but it's what feels on a gut level totally true to them, right? So what we want to do is we want to grow up our belief systems as we've grown up. And this is what's happening is there's like a mismatch between your uh, development as an adult and the development of the belief systems that shape your reality. We need to grow those belief systems up. We need to make them more sophisticated because you're a more sophisticated person and your life is far more complex. Right? I, your yeah. belief systems are not sophisticated enough to meet the demands of your life right now. Yeah. In this example, I can definitely see after talking about it with you in the last few minutes that there are definitely many ways in which they're not serving me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. And you don't have to let them go, but just see them for what they are. And maybe you'll be willing to question them, but you don't have to. But at the very least, you'll see what you're up against. And it's not, you know, that you just don't care. No. 
I, you know, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm enthusiastic about the opportunity to challenge them. So after we've gone through the dreads, so these are his dreads and let me recap them for everyone. So if he imagines doing the opposite of what's in column two, so he actually carves out time and prioritizes his time to exercise every day, that that's a priority for him. He doesn't do all these other things for other people in that time. He does his thing, his exercise, his dread is, here's the list. I'll be stressed. And the stress is worried I'm letting the people I care about down. I'll show up at practice unprepared. I won't meet my kids and my wife's needs. I will let other people down. I'll be someone who cares more about myself. Now we're getting into the meat of it, right? People might question my character, that I'm a good person. That makes you hot under the collar, for sure. Right? They're going to question your integrity as a human being. And they maybe even question that, you know, that you don't have other people's best interests, that you don't put other people's best interests first. And I would actually word it the other way, which is they may question that you put your best interest before theirs. And it's your best interest and your kids' best interest, your family's best interest. All right. That is your list of dreads, right? And I would say toward the bottom is where we really get to the meat of it. Like, this is really what you dread. You dread more than anything else, someone questioning your character, questioning your integrity, questioning that you put your needs above people that you care about. That is so uncomfortable for you. Yes. So from those dreads, we're going to start to take a look at your competing commitments. So what's happening is you have commitment to growth, which is to consistently exercise every day for all of these very important reasons. But you have competing commitments that, you know, completely work against it, right? So it's two competing goals. One is a goal to grow. The other is a goal to protect yourself. A commitment to growth, a commitment to protect yourself. So when we're talking about competing commitments, competing commitments are never noble. They're protective. And in this case, I would say, you know, in in what I was talking about in one of the earlier podcasts about there are psychological threats that your psychological immune system is protecting you from. And one of the ones I see here is a status threat. And I don't mean status like, you know, some sort of social hierarchy. But what I mean is it's a sense of like identity. This is who I am and who I am is going to be questioned. And that feels like death to you. Mm-hmm. And that is absolutely what's getting activated here. Yeah, it's interesting that I would, you would, yeah. Well, that's why I'm here with you today. Let's yeah. talk about this. <laughs> okay, so let's start let's start writing out your competing commitments. So I am also committed to and and these are going to sound a little bit grammatically awkward because we want to use we're going to use a negative. So for example, it's it's like I'm also committed to having people not question my integrity. The protective goal here is not I am also committed to having integrity because that's noble. That is not what's going on. This is a protective yeah, yeah drive. Okay. So it is, I am also committed to having people not question my integrity. It's a buffer. It's an avoidance. Like I don't want that. I'm going to push it away from me. Right. So that would be one of the ways we could word this is, you know, I'm also committed to not having people question my integrity. You're also committed to not being perceived as someone who lets people down, like not disappointing the people in your life? Is it more about not letting them down or is it more about not being perceived as someone who lets people down? Yeah, I actually am even reluctant to admit it, but it might be more the latter. 
I think it's probably that. I can think of a few examples in recent years where, you know, in the workplace or in my, you know, my dynamic with my wife where I've been called out on something and I, I'm not even, I'm not, I don't even think I'm angry that I've been called out. I'm angry that someone is questioning my intent. What? Mm-hmm. Like my inside, what, I can't, how could this possibly be? I've never had a thought like this. I've never had an intent like this. How could anybody possibly have perceived this situation like this? I'd like, Okay. So I think this is the way you said that, right? There was a lot of emotion and intensity to what you just said. It's so real to you. So I think one of your, also one of your competing commitments is I'm also committed to not allowing anyone to question my good intent. (laughs) Yeah. I'm I'm dedicated to avoiding that. Yeah. Yes, totally. So you just tell me what you think is going to win here. In one side of the room, we've got, I'm committed to getting better at prioritizing (laughs) and taking action, a daily exercise, okay? We've got this. We got this on the one side. (laughs) I'm going to commit to exercising every day and I'm going to get better at it because it's good for me and it's going to have all these awesome benefits and they're real. You can see them, but they're intangible. They're future. They're speculations. Like if I do this thing, these good things will happen, but they're not necessarily visceral right now to you. Correct. And then on the other side of this ring, we've got, I'm also committed to not having people question my integrity. I'm also committed to not being perceived as someone who lets other people down. I'm also committed to not allowing anyone to question my good intent. Which one's going to win? Yeah, those are pretty powerful ones. Yeah, and they're visceral and they're immediate. So you've got these two competing commitments and you're never going to win. Because these are so strong and they feel so real to you. And by the way, someone listening to this is going to be like, what is this? What is he talking about? Like it's 30 minutes of exercise a day. Like what is he talking about? That has nothing to do with his good character. That has nothing to do with his not putting people first and not caring and not prioritizing other people's needs. They won't see it that way because they don't have your assumptions. They don't have your implicit theory and they haven't had your experience. And there's a reason why you develop this belief why this matters to you. We don't need to go into it now, but I bet on some level, you know why these have such a strong hold on you. Yeah. It's very, it's very interesting or revealing to recognize them also and to kind of mm-hmm. look at them. And I was feeling them a minute or two ago when we were talking about them more, probably if I had a heart rate monitor on, my heart was really pounding, <laughs> not out of yeah. nervousness, out of like feeling that, that sensation. Right. So, so here's the deal. This is what Changing this behavior for you, the way you're seeing it right now, I'm not saying this is actually true, but the way that you've set this up in your mind, which is very real to you, is what's at stake for you is your sense of integrity, how people will think about you, whether you're a good person, like all of this is at stake, which is way more intense than like, you know, what would be a really good idea for me to exercise for 30 minutes. Right. So what we want to understand is what are the bigger assumptions? What are the belief systems? And I, you know, I love calling our belief systems are BS because they, they, they are, we've made them up and we've made them up for good reason because something happened in our life or we, we, we witnessed something happen, you know, something, the way that our parents were, the way that an experience in our life made us believe that this was true, but we had a limited understanding of the world when we probably decided that this thing was true. We were seeing a very, a little tiny context, not the big picture. So 
The question here is, what is the big, bad, horrible thing that you think is going to happen if you're perceived as someone who lets people down and prioritizes your needs over others? What's the big, bad, scary, horrible thing that you think is going to happen? Yeah, I, I guess it's the rejection being cast out of the of the tribe uh, or whatever we would call it. You know, you can think about those basic human instincts, like to live in groups, you need to co to successfully you need to cooperate and collaborate and occasionally put others' needs before your own. Mm -hmm. So I, I guess that's my recipe for belonging and being part of society and mankind or person kind, excuse me. So I think it's that, you know, that fear of rejection being like, uh, if, if this happens, if I'm perceived this way, I will be rejected or yeah. I will receive criticism or I will have conflict. Yeah. Okay. So then if I receive that, by the way, that is the other thing. Let me also add that. Cause I think that's a very succinct way of one of your competing commitments, I think is, is simply, is that as well, more broadly speaking, is that you are also committed to not being criticized. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to tell you that I, I welcome constructive criticism and feedback, but I still I still have to be like a like, you know, if I read you know self help book one or the other, it's like oh yeah, ask people for feedback all the time. You're like, I don't really, I don't know if I love that feedback. The way you protect yourself is that if you did receive feedback, you want to know that you've done every single thing you possibly can do to avoid that criticism. You you do not want to leave a window open for self doubt in that area. That's a fair observation. So it's not just, um, I'm also committed to not being criticized. It's like, I am also committed to not opening myself up to potential criticism. I think that perhaps might be more accurate. Yeah. But for me, that's but basically if you're, if you're doing your quote unquote job as an employee or as a parent or as a spouse, there should be no criticism for you. Okay. 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 This is a big assumption. Okay. You guys hear what he just said? This is super interesting. So Pete has this idea that if he's a good fill in the blank, employee, spouse, father, coach, he shouldn't at all ever be open to criticism because he's doing it impeccably. How exactly did you word that? I think I said, you know, if I'm being a good father, husband, employee, coach. If I'm doing a good job about things, there's no opportunity for criticism. There should be. Yes. That's what my vision is for your commitment to doing those things. Like if you're doing a good job. Guess what? You've got all your bases covered. So these two assumptions here are so major. One of them is if people perceive me as someone who puts my needs over other people's needs, I will be rejected and kicked out of the, you know, so-called tribe. And then the other is, if I'm being a good father, husband, employee, coach, there should be no opportunity for criticism because I'm mitigating that. Yeah, I shouldn't, it, it really should be like, like, I won't give people an opportunity, right? I shouldn't give people an opportunity yeah. for, for criticism. Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually not that they're like, I'm not trying to suppress any's voice, anybody's voice to criticize. There's nothing That's to right. criticize if I'm doing a good, a good enough job. If I'm being a good father, husband, employee, coach, there should be nothing for people to criticize. That's what you believe. Okay. So this makes sense to me. 
these beliefs, these assumptions make your competing commitments necessary, right? Mm-hmm. Your commitment to not opening yourself up for potential criticism is absolutely 100% necessary based on what you actually believe. So you dig your heels in about carving out 30 minutes of exercise because on some level, and you said it a number of times, you're like, it's a luxury. Okay, so the way you've set this up is you're like, there's absolutely no way that you are gonna consider, you are only gonna exercise when it's just so obvious that there's nothing else to do that you could be doing or the exercise is in service of something else like being a good father, husband, employee, or coach. If the exercise is in service of that, you'll do it. If the exercise is in service of you and you're feeling good about yourself and your health and your needs, you're never going to do it consistently. That's, well, that's the current situation. Totally. So right now we have a pretty good picture of what's happening. And what I want you to understand is that we, you're never working on your goal. You're not working on consistent exercise. That's not what we're working on. What we'd be working on is how accurate are these assumptions? Are they actually true? They may not be. And if they're not true, this might loosen up some of these competing commitments may not be so necessary anymore. And there'll be a lot more freedom here. But this is the work. It is to what extent are these assumptions that we hold, right? They are, they are the lens that you see the entire world through. You're totally embedded in it. You can't see outside of it. You're like, yeah, but what she doesn't know is like, this is the truth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like this is what you're thinking. I mean, theoretically, I get that this doesn't make any sense, but like on a gut level, you're like, it's hundred percent true. You're like, but this is actually the way the world works. Yeah. I, I do feel, well, I don't feel resistant to what you're telling me right now. I do, I do feel like, you know, I recognize this is like an operating system for how I conduct myself. Okay, so as we wrap up, what I want you to actually start to work on is we're going to actually start to question these assumptions and we're gonna start in very safe and modest ways. But the thing I want you to get out of this, most important for me, is that you start to see yourself with more compassion because it's not about just you know, blowing stuff off and being avoidant and not caring about these very important things like being a model for your kids and protecting yourself from Alzheimer's and feeling like you can, if you could change this, you could, you know, as a catalyst to other changes. Like those are all very real to you and very important, but I just want you to see what you're actually up against. You're up against something that feels shattering to your identity. And when push comes to shove, that will win. So at the very least, let's put this in a different frame so you can see it for what it actually is. So the like mean voice that wants to criticize you, what's wrong with you? Why can't you just do this? You're like, oh, I can't do it because it feels catastrophic to me right now. Now, it may not forever. And my hope is that we'll work through this and you'll start to gain some other data and collect some data. And you're like, you know what? Actually, I don't know that these beliefs are true. And if they're not true... Maybe the 30 minutes that I carve out for myself every day isn't going to destroy my rep, <laughs> isn't going to destroy my integrity, right? This is what we want to loosen this up, but nothing is going to change in column one until we change column four. You won't go after your growth goal until we start to dismantle the belief systems, right? The big assumptions about the way you operate, the way the world operates that make your competing commitments vital. Well, thank you for your time and expertise. 
I hope that this has given you a sort of a more clear picture of what's happening. Yeah, it's a very interesting and deep window into, like I, I said, my operating system, but that what what's guiding my decision-making and actions like from when I'm awake until I go to sleep at the end of the day. So yeah. that's been very revealing. Exactly. Yeah, I, re- I yeah. really appreciate it. Yeah, this is the critical piece is understanding because this is what most people avoid is they don't want to actually see what's going on, but you have to start with, here's the full picture of what's actually happening. This is my immune system at work. My immune system's protecting me because it believes that if I have made a mistake and I'm criticized for it, and I'm self-serving and I'm criticized for it, then I will feel destroyed as a human being, that I will be rejected. So it's a relationship threat and it's also a status threat. My identity is going to be in question and I'm I'm not going to be the person that I think makes me loved, valuable, worthy, right? How you get your A's, your approval, your accolades, your achievements, appreciation, you're not going to get any A's anymore. And that feels absolutely terrifying to you. So this is really the full picture of what's going on. And then we slowly get to work in column four, like, how true is this? I don't know. All right. Well, thank you. I mean, this was awesome. And I appreciate so much how open and vulnerable you were willing to be because it's just helpful for everybody. Thanks very much for your time and and your expertise. Oh my goodness. I wish we had a a clap track for Pete. That was awesome. And as I said, thank you for being so vulnerable and open. And no doubt, no doubt, you got a lot out of that experience of listening to him work through his stuff in a coaching session. So, all right, let's do a quick after action review of the coaching session. So Pete's overt growth goal, which is to get better at prioritizing and following through on daily exercise What's happening is that it's bumping up against the brick wall that is his protective competing commitment to not be perceived as someone who prioritizes himself. And why is this competing commitment so powerful? Because Pete has a resolute belief that if he is perceived as someone who puts his needs above the needs of other people in his life that are important, he will be rejected and related to that assumption is a more general assumption, which is if I'm doing a good job as a husband, father, employee, coach, there should be nothing to criticize, right? He should be beyond reproach. And he made this very clear. He's certainly not shutting anyone down and not allowing them to give him feedback or have a criticism, not at all. What he's trying to do is mitigate the potentiality that someone might have a criticism for him And by the way, a criticism in this very specific area, which is being self-serving and prioritizing himself too much, he's trying to mitigate the potentiality that he would get that criticism, right? So I think it's important to note too that these two assumptions, right, that if he put his needs above other people's, he'll be rejected. And if I'm doing a good job, there should be nothing to criticize. These assumptions have no doubt motivated him to be an exemplar person, right? And he is, he's so dedicated. And this is all wonderful. It's gotten him really far. It's made him very productive and have a thriving family and all these wonderful things. But now it's hitting its limitation, right? He, as he said, he's having a milestone birthday and all of a sudden his life has become too complex to fit within the confines of this belief system. So actually after we stopped recording, 
he said something that I thought was very illuminating. And I am adding it here and I wanted to share it with you all because I think it was really illustrative of what's going on. And also, Pete, if you're listening, I think it'd be helpful for you to hear it objectively played back to you. Anyhow, here's what he said. He said, I see guys out there running and I think, man, I wish I could just go do that without feeling any guilt. Like that would be awesome. But I also see men just doing stuff for themselves. And I think, what a dick. (laughs) And I was like, there you go. You just wrapped it up, summed it up in those two sentences. Herein lies the conflict, this admiring the guy that's out there running and wishing he were that guy consistently doing that. And also kind of admiring the fact that that person seems to have no problem carving out 30 minutes to go on a run. That seems aspirational to him. And it's something he wants. He desires that. But at the same time, right, on the heels of that was, but I also see men just doing stuff for themselves. And I think, what a dick. So this is the internal conflict. By his definition, daily exercise is a selfish luxury. Okay, and and let me be clear here. It's not for others, but it is for him. And if he wants to get fit for all the very valid reasons that he laid out, he's going to have to prioritize what he has framed in his mind, right? The way he sees it, he's going to have to prioritize every darn day a selfish luxury over his real obligations, right? The things that make him a good person. And if he does this, he's going to become one of those self-serving jerks. That's how you set this up, right? And this feels like death. This feels so impossible to him. So option one is he either has to force himself to prioritize his needs, i.e. prioritize exercise over the perceived needs of other people and hate himself and also become someone worthy of criticism. Like, let's just add that on top, right? By the way, this is the resolution model of change and you can see how this will very quickly fail. Or option two is that he starts to get curious and start to actively question the truth of his big bad assumptions and gives himself the space to discover for himself if daily exercise is a selfish luxury or if being good actually means that you can never prioritize your needs or never let anyone down. He's got to explore the truth of these beliefs, these theories. And this is the evolution model of change. And if he sticks with this exploration, he will work through this conflict, expand the boundaries of his current beliefs and get unstuck. And this will no longer be a problem for him. And he'll think of it completely differently. He'll see those guys out there running and be like, yeah, I'm one of them. I get that this is really valuable to me. This is not a zero-sum game with my 30 minutes of exercise time as a luxury that is pitted against, you know, being a good human being, a good father, a good husband, a good employee, a good coach. Maybe they're not in opposition to each other. So I hope this was helpful. And please, please, please send me any questions and or apply to get coached on the podcast. And for your lab work this week, I want you to explore where you have a similar belief system that being good means never prioritizing your needs or letting anyone down. For more dirt on today's topic, 
make sure to visit the episode show notes at drsashahines.com. Or if you have any specific questions, you can shoot me an email at hello at thechangelabpodcast.com or find me on Instagram at drsashahines. If you're enjoying The Change Lab, there are three things you can do about it. Subscribe and leave me a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Share the show with a friend or five. Or head over to drsashahines.com to check out the ways you can work with me and dive deeper into this work. And if you're feeling wild, maybe do all three. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next Monday.